Welcome to the Hillside Community Church Podcast. Wherever you're at in your faith, we hope this episode encourages you. If you enjoy the listen, let your friends know, and we'll catch you next time. Daniel's going to come uh, up here right now. Daniel's our community discipleship pastor. He's speaking from Deuteronomy. And actually, Daniel, you have a different way of doing scripture reading today, right? Yeah. So um, before we get into it, I, I want to piggyback off this and just thank you guys because uh, there's so many men at this church who speak into my life and challenge me on a regular basis uh, to be a better dad, to be a better husband. And so I, I wanted to you know, take the opportunity to thank you guys for everything that you do here. Um, but the, the passage that we're in today is, uh, is, is one that we do, uh, we, we recite a lot in our house. So we thought it'd be a good idea if uh, we have my daughter, Aria, actually read the passage today. Now, I don't know if you know this, two-year-olds are a little bit um, unpredictable. So we thought it'd probably be better than having her actually up here to, to film it and have her do that. So, um, so watch the screen for the scripture reading. Here, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God, your heart, and with all your soul, all your strength. So that's Aria. She is, uh, got some feedback going here. That's Aria. She's two and a half. Um, she, when you're two, you don't waste a breath, do you? Just every inhale is, is another word because you don't want to waste a breath. But uh, that's Aria. She's two and a half. Um, we actually just had our uh, second daughter, Lainey, back in February. So she's four months old. So I have a two-year-old and a four-month-old in the house, which really just means if you run into my wife today and it looks like she's looking at you, she's just perfected the art of sleeping with her eyes open. <laughs> We don't know what sleep is anymore. We hope to find out someday. But do you ever feel like you're just white knuckling? You just, you just fly in by the seat of your pants and, and just trying to figure it out as you go? That's kind of where we're at right now. But uh, no, we're having a lot of fun. We're, we're trying to figure it all out right now. Uh, since it is Father's Day, I wanted to look at a passage that um, has been speaking to me about what it means to be a godly parent. Uh, but uh, the... Uh, we're going to talk about how it applies to parenthood, but there's a much bigger story going on here uh, beyond just parenting. So this is where we're going today. Uh, we're, we are all telling ourselves a story, every single one of us. We are telling ourselves a story every day about what's most important to us, about what's ultimate. And the things that we choose to think about, the, the ways that we choose to act, uh, the habits that we engage in, uh, the way that we prior, prioritize our lives, it, it all is telling a, a story, and it's weaving that story further and further into us. So the question I'm going to be coming back to again and again today that comes out of this passage is this. What story are you telling? What story are you telling yourself, and then what story are you telling others? Okay? Okay. So the text we're looking at today is, is Deuteronomy 6. Um, to give you some background on Deuteronomy, this is, uh, this is Moses kind of reiterating the history to Israel and reiterating their laws to a new generation. They've, they've been wandering around in the wilderness for 40 years, and they're getting ready to go into the promised land because the first time they didn't they didn't do it. They wouldn't go in. They were scared. God had brought them out of Egypt. He brought them all the way through this great deliverance. And they got out there and they, they said, 
no, we're, we're too scared. They, they actually told themselves, God brought us out here to die, right? They were telling themselves the wrong story. So now that they've been wandering around for 40 years, Moses is, is reiterating this story to them, and he's, he's reiterating the law to them, um, to this new generation. He's saying, don't make the same mistakes your parents did. Me and Lauren, all the time, we, we, we will, uh, you know, we catch ourselves, you know, getting a little bit flustered talking to our kids, and we go, that's your mom. Yeah, that, that was your mom right there. You just catch yourself doing it as a parent, right? Because you, you find, I think when you get flustered especially, you just go to whatever you knew growing up. You just kind of do whatever your parents did when you get flustered. Well, Moses is saying to these guys here, your parents didn't do it right. They told themselves the wrong story. Don't make the same mistakes that your parents did. When they were fleeing from Pharaoh, they told themselves they would be better off as slaves back in Egypt. When they, when they didn't have food, they said, you know, they, they, they told themselves that the scraps they had back in Egypt were actually pretty good. When they were thirsty, they, they waxed nostalgic about making mud bricks for a madman. I said, but at least we had water, right? At least we had water. They, they were telling themselves the wrong story. So that's where we find ourselves in Deuteronomy 6. This is a central text. Um, it's one that, um, that Jews recite to this day at least twice a day. And it's one that Jesus um, reiterates in the New Testament and says everything boils down to this. Jesus says it boils down to this text right here. So it's a really important passage, and it's all about loving God fully and how we weave that story into our hearts. So it starts like this. It says, hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Now, when, it's, when it says the Lord, remember, just, just as a recap, Lord in all caps is the personal name for God, Yahweh. There was, there was sort of a, almost a... Um, uh, just a fear from the Jews. They, they realized how holy the name God was and eventually they, they just didn't want to say it whenever they saw the name. They would replace it with the word Adonai, which means Lord. So traditionally, our English versions just render Yahweh as the Lord in all caps. So what is it saying? This is a personal God. This is the personal name that God used to reveal himself to his people. It's a personal God. But not only that, this God, this Yahweh is one. The idea here is that he's unique. He's set apart. He is, uh, there's no one to contradict him. Of, of all the pantheon of gods that they had in, in the, the world around them, there's nobody to contradict him. It's as if it's saying, there's only one who really deserves the title. And so what this verse is telling us here is that there is a, uh, there is a meta-narrative there is, a, there is an encompassing story that makes sense of all of our stories. But this is, this is really relatable today because um, we may not have a pantheon of, of mythological gods necessarily. But postmodernism will tell us everybody's truth is the same. Everybody's truth is, is equal. Your truth is as good as mine. Uh, but as, as, as great as the coexist bumper sticker idea may sound, it doesn't, it doesn't make sense. They can't all be right. There's, each religion makes a radical truth claim. 
They all make radical truth claims. Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's a radical claim. Whether you accept it or not, it's a radical claim. And so what postmodernism says is that everybody can, you know, let's, let's just, everybody can be right. Everybody can have their own truth. That's not what this is saying right here. This is saying that there is an overarching story. There is a meta-narrative that makes sense to our lives. Now, whether you think, whether you believe in a meta-narrative or not, I want to say this. You are telling yourself a story. Whether you think there's a meta-narrative, you are telling yourself a story about what's ultimate. Every day, every moment of your life, you're telling yourself a story about what's ultimate, what's important to you. The way that you live your life, the things that you think about, the question is, is it enough? Is it enough for this life and the next one? So let's come back to this. Let's assume Moses is right for now. Let's assume there's a, a meta-narrative. If there's a meta-narrative, a story and a storyteller, that means there's a claim on my life. There's a claim on your life. There's something required of us if there is a meta-narrative here. So it goes on in verse five to say, you shall love the Lord. This is, this is the claim on your life. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your might. This is the claim on your life. It's not just an emotional love. This is a, this is a covenantal love. It's, it's a love that plays out in obedience. You shall love God with everything. And you'll notice here the, the parts are not as important as the whole. This is about loving him fully. If you look at this, you've got, you've got heart, you've got soul, and you've got might. My temptation when I come to this text is to go, okay, how do I take each piece and, and figure out if I'm loving God with that piece? The point is that you love God fully. See, the word, um, the word for heart here, levav, actually could be heart or it could be mind. They didn't have two separate words for that. They had heart and mind were one thing. This is the seat of your, um, the, the, the inner life. This is where all of your thoughts and your emotions and your will comes from. These are concentric circles. They're going out. They're just moving outward to show the totality. So you've got heart and mind, which is probably why some of you in here think of the, um, uh, where Jesus reiterates this verse, heart, soul, mind, and strength. Heart and mind are both a piece of this. Then you've got soul. Okay, soul is, now we're moving out a little bit further. Soul could be uh, translated as um, the word nephesh. It could be your breath or your throat or yourself or your soul. It's everything that makes up the substance of my life. My life and my vitality. It could be my body. It could be everything that makes up who I am. And then we move out further to my might, my strength. The word here is kind of funny. It's, it's me'od, which is actually not even a noun. It's, it's an intensifier, like very or exceedingly. Like the idea is love God with all your very muchness, right? That's what one of my professors said. Well, love God with all your very muchness. This is the resources that go out from you to affect the world. It could be your strength. It could be your economic resources. Everything that goes out from you to affect the world around you. That's the idea here. So this is about loving him fully from the innermost part to the outermost. And Jesus quotes this in the New Testament. He's got a lawyer that comes to him and says, hey, uh, give me one thing. Take everything that we have here and I want you to boil it down to one thing. Give me one thing. If, if we boil it down, what's the stain at the bottom of the cup? 
Jesus says, you want one thing, I'll give you two. Right? Like any good, like any good teacher. You want one thing, I'll give you two. He says, love God fully. He says, he quotes this verse. He says, love God fully and love your neighbor as yourself. He says, the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. This is not the second in order, the second in degree. This is second right along with it. You, you want one command, I'm giving you two. You can't love God fully without loving people, and you can't love people without loving God. They're completely interconnected here. So, you know, what's interesting is actually every gospel, uh, all, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, have uh, the synoptic gospels. They all have this in there, but they all say it's slightly different. Uh, I think uh, Matthew has heart, soul, mind, Mark has heart, soul, mind, and strength. Luke has heart, soul, strength, and mind. They're all emphasizing slightly different parts. Why? Because when you step back and you look at it, you go, oh, the point is the whole, not the parts. The point is that I love God fully from the innermost to the outermost. So we'll see in in Deuteronomy, there's an inward and an outward element. But Jesus is clarifying here, like just in case you missed it, Just in case you missed the point, loving God doesn't stop with your personal relationship with God. It has to go out from you in your very muchness and all of your your strength. So I want to make a point here because two big temptations that we face in a Christian life is to make our faith either entirely inward or entirely outward. Those are two big temptations we face, but the story has to invade everything. All of my heart and mind, all of my soul, the whole source of my life, and all of my resources, all your very muchness. So, verse four, there's a meta-narrative. There's an overarching story. That story has a claim on my life. If there's a story and a storyteller, there's a claim on my life. Verse five shows us that claim is that you have to love God fully. Well, the question that comes out of that is naturally, what does that look like? How do I love God fully? What would that even mean to love God with everything? The rest of this plays this out. It begins here, these words which I'm commanding you today shall be on your heart. So there's two ways that Deuteronomy is gonna show us that you love God fully. There's two ways that come out of this. Number one, you tell the story to yourself. It's got to be on your heart. You tell the story to yourself. Uh, You have to be able to tell this story to yourself if you want to have anything to pass on. Remember, their parents told themselves the wrong story, right? They told themselves the wrong story. And everything that you think or do or say is rehearsing a story. It's all rehearsing a story about what's important. All your habits, all your disciplines, your day-to-day activities, it's all rehearsing a story. So let me give you an example. The national anthem, okay? We're coming up on the 4th of July. We're gonna be standing up and putting our hand over our heart and belting it out, right? Well, that is telling you a story. That story is telling you a story. You're sitting there and you're, you're with your buddies and you're going, you remember that time, the twilight's last gleaming? You remember the, the broad stripes and the bright stars? They were still there in the perilous fight. You remember, the, you remember the rockets had this red glare and there was bombs going off in the air and every time they went off, it gave proof. Every time one would flash, it gave proof. The flag was still there. It stood the test. 
And that flag waves over the land of the free and the home of the brave. Hoorah, right? You're telling yourself a story about what's important. You're weaving it into you. A a nationalistic pride about loving where, where you live. And when Whitney Houston sings it with jets flying over, you better believe it's the best place on earth in that moment. You're weaving a story. This is a, this is a rhythm that weaves a story, but we have smaller rhythms, smaller rhythms that do the same thing. Consider daydreaming. Where does your mind go in the quiet when you have a moment to think? Daydreaming isn't bad, but what you daydream about for long periods of time is weaving a story. So the longer that I'm sitting there thinking about the new house and the new car and the new gadget and the new whatever, fill in the blank, the more I'm telling myself life will be better when I have X. When we daydream about a sexual encounter, what Jesus calls adultery of the heart, we're weaving a story into our hearts. Life would be better if I had X. Now, does daydreaming hurt anybody? Maybe not directly, until the story so grips you that now the line goes a little further. And now my flesh goes a little farther, gets a little bolder. The temptation gets a little stronger until you're standing on the brink. And you go, how did I get here? It's because you told yourself a story told yourself a story about what was important. That's what you told yourself in the quiet. When we gossip, it's weaving a story into our hearts. We're saying, I'm not like so-and-so. I'm stacking these comparisons up in a way that make me feel like I'm pretty good. Like like I could actually kind of do this on my own. I'm pretty good. That's not the story that's being told. That's not this story that we're all desperately in need of salvation. These are breaks in the story. These are rifts. They're, they're breaks in our worship and wonder of God. Now, consider in that same light, consider your quiet times. Consider Bible reading and prayer and community and all of these things that we, that we, uh, that, that we are always talking about, these spiritual disciplines. Consider those in light of this right? It's not self-help. It's not checking a box, right? The internet tells me if I clap between each thing, then it's going to emphasize it more. It's not self-help. It's not self-help. You put those emojis between every word, it emphasizes it more. It's not self-help. Consider this. Your quiet times are the plot thickeners. They're the reading glasses. They're the book lamps, they're the musical score that, that tells you, it alerts you to the tension and tells you something's right around the corner. They're the aids in storytelling. They're weaving a story into our hearts. They remind you about what's ultimate, what's most important. They reset your heart. One of my favorite authors and speakers says it this way. He says, they weave a story into your heart and then they weave you back into the story. So this is, this is the big idea here. How do you love God with all of your heart, soul, and might? How do you do that? You rehearse his story in every context so that it gives context to everything else. 
You rehearse his story. How do you love God fully? You rehearse his story in every context so that it gives context to everything else. The story has to grip you. Now, the first one, if how do I love God fully? The first one is I have to tell the story to myself. But then the second one, you have to tell the story to someone else. You shall teach them diligently to your sons, to your children. She'll talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. Look, this part right here, by the way, this is why I called the talk by the way originally. It was because I'm, I'm looking at this and I'm, it's kind of a play on words, right? We normally use it like, oh, by the way, like this isn't what I actually came for. Like, uh, you know, the wheel wax on your car at a car wash. Like I drive an 04 Honda. I don't need the wheel wax. Just hose the thing off, right? Is your relationship with God an add-on? Is it, an, is it an afterthought? Or is it the central thought that, that invades everything? Look at the wording here. You shall teach them, let's see, when you talk to them, when you sit, when you walk, when you lie down, when you rise up, the, the, the picture here is totality. When you're sitting and walking, this encompasses all human effort. When you are lying down and rising up, you're going to bed at night and you're getting back up in the morning, this is encompassing all time. This is all of our human endeavors, all pictured right here. It's gotta invade everything. Now, this is really cool. You're gonna have to, you have to let me nerd out for a minute. This is really cool. This verb right here, to teach diligently, the way that they've, they've done it, teach diligently here, this is, this is really cool. I'm gonna nerd out for a minute, but I think you'll really like it, so watch this. The, the word here is actually repeat, okay? The word in the Hebrew is actually repeat. There's a, there's a certain verb stem in Hebrew that if you take just a normal word and you put it in that verb stem, it makes plurality. It makes, it, for example, if I punch this TV and break it, then not only will I be fired instantly when Pete gets back, but I see a break in the TV, a crack, let's say, and I tell Pete, Pete, I, I broke your TV. There's a crack in it, I'm sorry. But if I put it in this other verb stem, I didn't just break the TV, the TV shattered. It could be the same word, but I put it in a different verb stem and it shatters. I was camping with some guys um, years ago. We're sharing tents, um, and, and I woke up the next morning and there was this, there was a... a uh, spider in there. Biggest spider I've ever seen in my life. I, I felt like Frodo, Lord of the Rings. Like, I'm about to be wrapped up and eaten for breakfast by this thing. It was massive. And I don't know how it got in. Everything was zipped up. I don't know, I don't know what happened. I, I'm disoriented, but I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready to fight this thing. I pick up my shoe. Some of you know where this is going already. I smash it, and it explodes into 50 billion baby spiders. And so naturally, what I do is I pick up my, I'm in my sleeping bag and I pick it up and get my backpack and I just kind of get out as fast as I can and leave my buddy back there to, to just swim in baby spiders. At least I screamed, right? At least I screamed, so I warned him. That's the effect of what this verb does. It's plurality. It's, it's not just repeat, it's repeat on repeat. The idea here is that you are drilling it into your kids. You are, it says, become a broken record, basically, it's a verifiable fact. Every two-year-old is a broken record. Every two-year-old. If we are having a conversation and, and you know, we're trying to, even just a short conversation, my two-year-old is like, hey, dad, hey, dad, hey, dad, hey, dad, and she'll say the same thing over and over and over again because she's a broken record. 
Guess what? You now have biblical license to be a, bro- a broken record right back at them. You now have, you now have license. Congratulations. Be a broken record, it's saying. But if you're a broken record in the same sense that my two-year-old's a broken record, may not be that effective, right? Uh, here's what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean being the guy that, that goes in, uh, say you're in the latest Marvel movie, right? And you're, you're, you're sitting there and your buddy's trying to watch and, and, and you're, just, you're, just going, you're talking to him the whole time. And you're like, uh, you, you know that... that Infinity Stone right there, the power one. You know the you know the time one too. There's really like kind of a picture of a guy, and your buddy's like, I'm trying to watch this movie. Like that's not what I'm trying to tell. You remember the the Mad TV sketch with the Can I Have Your Number guy? Does anybody remember this? He just pops up everywhere. He's like, Can I have your number? Can I have it? Can I have Can I have your number? Can I have it? Like that's not that's not what it means by being a broken record here. We're not talking about inserting it where in weird ways or, or just never shutting up. Let me give you a better example. Back in the fall, I went to bed early. I, I wasn't feeling well. I get woken up and just jarred. I was just jarred awake and by my wife screaming my name from my daughter's room. That's never a good thing. And so I, I'm you know, disoriented and I get up and I try and go and see what's going on. I see her running my daughter into the bathroom and I go into the room to see what happened and I see the cause of the ruckus. My daughter had soiled herself and taken off her clothes, taken off her diaper and gotten it everywhere. And when I say everywhere, Eddie the elephant looked like he was taking a, a mud bath at a sulfur spring. It was everywhere. So I, I'm sitting there and, and, and you know, my wife's cleaning her up. So obviously I have to clean this mess up. And you know, I'm doing the dad gag. You know what I'm talking The dad is just like, trying to get this. And so I get it all downstairs, probably used a tub, an entire tub of detergent and make it back upstairs. You know, in the moment, I wanted a flamethrower, not soap. I, I, in, the, in the moment, I was content. Let's start from scratch. I get back up, and my daughter is standing in front of the rocking chair with these big eyes. And she wasn't even two at this point, but she knew what she did was a no-no. And she just had these big eyes, like, let me make it right. You could see it. I recognized the look. Can I make it right? What can I do? And so I just picked her up. Mom cleaned her off already. (laughs) I picked her up and I just held her. And we just sat in the rocking chair and didn't say a word. I just held her for a few minutes. And then I laid her back in clean sheets. I prayed with her. I told her how much I loved her. Scratched her back for a few seconds and went back to bed. And when I went back to bed, I was overwhelmed. This wouldn't be a normal response for me in this kind of situation. I was overwhelmed by God's grace. It sounds so weird. I was overwhelmed by God's grace in that moment because I recognized the look in her eyes. And I thought, how many times have I soiled my life again and again and just looked up at God with big eyes saying, let me do something. Let me clean up my mess. Let me do something. And instead, 
He takes the mess. He exchanges it for something new. He holds on to me and whispers in my ear how much he loves me. Do you see how the the context is, we're not trying to insert this in weird ways or never shutting up. That's not what I'm talking about. The context, God used me in that moment to weave that story into my daughter. And he used that, he used my daughter to weave it into me. In Deuteronomy, this is not, this is not just about trying to insert something out of context. It's realizing my relationship with God is what gives context to everything else. It's the story that ties everything together. Not having a three prayer quota for my kids every day or how many times they get through the Bible in the year. It's realizing why is prayer critical. It's realizing I just need a steady habit in in the word so that I can dwell with Christ so he can dwell in me so I can tell this story to myself and and to others around me. The point is it's already there. It's in your house. It's on the road. It's lying down. It's it's standing up. Find the mystery infused in every moment. Find how God is weaving his story into you and and then weaving it into others in the everyday, ordinary, mundane moments of life. I hope you see this applies to more than just your kids. I hope you can see that, you know, if, if, if you're not a parent in the room, this still applies. In, in light of Christ's command to go and make disciples, we are all called to be spiritual father figures, mother figures to somebody. We're all called to have this and to pass it on. That's why it says this. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house, that's your home, and on your gates. This isn't the gates of your house. This is the gates, the city gates, where the commerce happened, where trade happened. What story are you telling your coworkers? What, what story are you telling your coworkers in your workplace when you fudge the details to make the sale? What story are you saying when somebody cuts you off and you're screaming at them? What story are you telling the waitress who gets your order wrong and you're just giving her that look like she's a moron? What story are you telling? What story are you telling in your community about what's ultimate? Loving God with everything means means telling his story in every context. That's why right here, let's see, verse 20 when it says, when your son, your, your, your child asks you in times to come, why do we do this? Why, why is this our way of life? You know what he doesn't do? He doesn't go from verse 20 to 24 and just say, the Lord commanded. God said so. That should be reason enough. But that's not what he does. The answer to why do we do this is a story. You should say to your sons, we were slaves. God brought us out with a mighty hand. We were slaves. And he brought us out. The answer here is a a story. He brought us out in order to bring us in. The answer is the gospel. That's that's what we're weaving. That's, That's the story that's being told here. The story's not about how much you were able to muster up in your very muchness. The gospel is, is, is the story that the storyteller 
wanted to write you into it so much that he killed himself off to defeat sin and then he rose again to defeat death. That's the story that we're weaving. We love because he first loved us. That's what John tells us. So, to close, what story are you telling yourself? What story are you telling yourself about what's ultimate? Everything that you think, that you do, that you say is telling a story and directing your heart. So you remember I said that um, two, two big temptations that we face is to make our, our faith entirely inward or entirely outward. So what story are you telling yourself? If you feel like you may be in a place right now where your faith has been very outward focused, where you've, you're doing great things in the kingdom and you're, you're giving and you're, you're serving and, and all of this stuff is happening, but you, you realize, I haven't cultivated that inner quiet. I haven't been telling myself the story. I've been so busy telling it to everybody else. I haven't told myself the story lately. If that's you, I want to encourage you to find the time to do that this week. You know, Pete, I think he's finishing up the Borderland series next week. He's in John right now. Pick up the book of John. Tell the gospel to yourself. 15 minutes. Just do it 15 minutes a day this week. Tell yourself the story. What story are you telling yourself and what story are you telling others? There's a, there's a big temptation to make my relationship with God completely just, hey, as long as me and God are good, everything else is fine. But you've got to be telling this story to someone else. If, if, if that's you today, if it's, if it's all been inward, but you haven't, you haven't been telling the story, don't leave here today without getting involved in a group, without picking up one of those event cards, without signing up for something, getting around some people that, that will tell you the story. You can tell them the story. But more than just being at Hillside, remember our Go Local focus. When you go out to a restaurant for lunch today, you're telling a story to the wait staff. You're telling them a story today. Keep that in mind. You are telling a story everywhere that you go. And then if you're in here and, and you're still exploring the claims that Jesus has made, then I am so glad you're here. I, I'm, I'm really glad that you are walking through that. Um, hopefully you see that something is ultimate in your life. Something. Uh, the question for you is, is it enough? Is it enough for this life and the next? What story are you telling yourself and what story are you telling others with your life? God, thank you so much for um, the story that you have told. Thank you for writing your word on our hearts. God, thank you that, um, God, that you are good, that you are uh, loving, that you are gracious toward us. God, I ask today that you would weave that story further, further in, that you would, you would help us to see the things that weave the story and help us to find the competing stories in our life. Help us to find the things that compete with the greater story. And I pray that that story would go out from us when we go out from this room. 
God, make that story go out from us so that we are passing it on to someone else and helping someone else see your grace, your truth, your story. God, thank you for this day. Thank you for this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks for watching today's message. We hope it encourages you wherever you're at in your faith. If you enjoyed it, let your friends know. We'll catch you next time.